Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I <laughs> Welcome to Kids Birthdays. My brother's name is Ozzy and I'm Die Boy. Thank you for missing from Mommy's podcast. Kia ora and welcome to Kiwi Birth Tales. I am your host Jordan. I'm a mum of two. I've got Jai who's almost four and Ali who has just turned two. I can't believe my baby is two years old. I also have a business baby called Your Birth Project and that is my online hypnobirthing course designed to help you create your best birth. So if you're pregnant or you know someone who is, make sure you go and check out Your Birth Project. But today I finally have another episode for you. This one is such a great one um, and it's quite long. So for those of you who are into long episodes, which I know lots of you are, this one is for you. If not, then you might have to do it in two parts. (laughs) But it is a wonderful episode with a mama named Taylor and she shares her journey um, for her two pregnancies and births with us. But I guess the main focus for me in this is a couple of different things. It's birth trauma and it's postpartum mental health and then it's setting yourself up for success and knowing when to get help or how to get help. There's so many important topics covered in this episode. I think mental health being like the forefront of that. So if you don't feel like you're in a place to hear an episode about birth trauma or about postpartum mental health, then maybe save this one for another day. But if you are, I just think there are so many valuable things in this episode that I'm just so grateful Taylor was willing to share with us. So I know you're going to get out a lot out of it. I'll let you enjoy the episode. I know it's been a while. I hope you love it. I'd love to hear from you. If you want to find me, Jordan with a Y, J-O-R-D-Y-N at KiwiBirthTales.com or you can find me on Instagram at KiwiBirthTales or at Your Birth Project. Enjoy the episode. Hi Taylor, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hey Jordan, thanks so much for having me. I've been listening for a while, so it's really cool to be a part of it. (laughs) Amazing. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about you and who is in your family? Yeah, so I'm Taylor, I'm 29, um, and I live in Tauranga with my fiancé Brad and our two beautiful children, Finn, who is two, and Maeve, who is six weeks. Mm. Amazing. Oh, she's still so little. I love that. Yeah, she's tiny. (laughs) Beautiful. Awesome. And talk us through, we're going to obviously cover lots of things, um, babies, pregnancy, birth, mum life today. But why don't you start us off with uh, what the journey was like to pregnancy for you and Brad? Cool. So um, I was diagnosed with endometriosis when I was 20. um, Mm -hmm. And it was stage two to three. I've had four surgeries for it um and I was always told that getting pregnant would most likely be hard um but I never really had an idea of how hard it might be um and the specialist said to me your best shot at having kids is to have them before 30 um and Brad and I actually met when we were living in Canada we were both doing the like ski resort 
mm-hmm. thing. Um, and before I left, I was like, oh, I might meet someone. I might not. Never expecting to be a guy from Tauranga because um, I'm from Christchurch <laughs> originally. Um, yeah. And we knew that we wanted to have kids. Um, we didn't really have a timeline as to when, but because of the endo diagnosis, um, I sort of said that I wanted to get the fertility tested so that I knew where we were at because that would help make the decision in terms of when we wanted to start our family. So um, we had to come back to New Zealand because of COVID, like lots of people. Um, And so we jumped into getting the fertility testing done. Um, So got a referral through the doctor to um, one of the local gynecologists here. and he sort of talked us through everything he said look surgery is not your best option at the moment in terms of enhancing your fertility it's more likely Mm. going to um, impact it so we just opted for um, Brad to do his screening um, me to do the uh, AMH and um, an HSG scan at the hospital which is um, basically a video x-ray where they put um, contrast uh, into your uterus through a catheter um like vaginally and then cervically um and then they push it through and essentially it just the video x-ray gives you an idea of um if there's any damage to the fallopian tubes um Mm -hmm. so I had that done and that was all fine which was such a relief because it was just nice that at least like the you know my anatomy was working okay (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and Brad did his um sample which top tip for anyone who is local path lab don't take a sample on a weekend um so that was embarrassing mm-hmm. for him when he had to <laughs> turn around and walk out with his little jar um and that came back and he has i mean we joke that he has super sperm like millions and millions higher in terms of mm. um what is normal so that was really wow. good and then um, we had, I had the um, blood test done as well for my egg reserve, which came back totally normal um, in terms of um, where I should be for my age. Sort of prepared for the worst, hope for the best, and um, yeah. we're very, very lucky with the results that we got. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And so talk us through, um, yeah, what did you decide to do from then, and then how did you eventually fall pregnant? So Finn was a surprise. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I actually got the results for the um, AMH blood test the day before I found out I was pregnant. Um, we weren't, I mean, we'd always kind of said if it happens, it happens. Um, but it had never happened up to that point. So we weren't particularly um, worried that it, it was going to happen. Um, yeah. And I was coming up to my period. It was a couple of days late. And it was actually our anniversary and we went out for dinner. We just went down to the mount and had some um, Peter Pitt on the beach. And then we had to go to the supermarket on the way home. And Brad knew that my period was a couple of days late, but that wasn't uncommon. I was pretty regular, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't strange for me to be a day or two either side. So I said, look, I just want to get a test. He's like, no, it'll be fine. I was like, yeah, I know, but it's just going to make me feel better. Um, So got a test, came home. It was positive and I was like mm-hmm. oh my god and walked into the office where he was doing some work and I said um it's positive and he said uh okay we were both <laughs> so in shock and I said I need to go and ring Anna who's my best friend <laughs> and so I rang her 
and I don't know, it was like 8.30 at night or something. She's like, what's up? And I said, um, I've just had a positive pregnancy test. She was like, congrats. I was like, I don't know. And she said, well, that's what happens when you have unprotected sex. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, but like, it's not meant to happen to me, you know? Like, it, this isn't, you know, I was expecting for so long for it to be so hard and then to get pregnant without even trying was such mm-hmm. a shock. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, convinced myself that it was a false positive. Um, so I jumped in the car, went and got some more tests, came back, did another one, and it was positive before I'd even flushed the toilet. And I was like, okay, this is happening. Um, and then we were kind of like, ah, oh, okay, this is what we've always wanted, but is the timing right? And so that was a bit of a, um, yeah, I wasn't sort of expecting to have those feelings, but we hadn't been back in New Zealand for that long. Um, the job that I was in, I hadn't been in for very long. You know, we'd had all these things that we wanted to achieve and what we wanted to do in the next 12 months. And it was just a real um, spanner in the works. But mm-hmm. sort of once we settled everything down and got used to the idea, I was like, okay, no, this is cool. And you're definitely the person that I want to do this with. So let's do it. Um yeah, so that was how we found out about Finn. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And how were you feeling in your first trimester? Did you have like much morning sickness or any other pregnancy symptoms that sort of made you feel a bit yuck? Or yeah, talk us through your first trimester and how you were feeling. So I, before I had the positive test, I felt nauseous a couple of days um, during the week, but didn't really think much of it because I was had been at the gym and. I don't really like eating much before I go to the gym so I had just put it down to you know working out hard and then not having much in my stomach um but then when I got the positive test I was like oh that makes sense um and ever since basically I saw the positive test I just was nauseous for ages (laughs) um Mm -hmm. and I went down to Christchurch the weekend um that we found out actually and just felt like I was carrying this massive secret but feeling I mean I was carrying a massive secret but just feeling mm-hmm. nauseous of am I going to slip up is someone gonna <laughs> gonna catch me out and also just feeling really awful um didn't really want to eat um but obviously the less you eat um the more sick you feel so um mm-hmm. yeah. it was a lot of beige food consumed um and I was very tired <laughs> so I would come home from work have a nap on the couch um couldn't stand the smell of so many foods so you know cooking dinner Brad had to do a lot of that I couldn't cut it was just it was pretty horrific to be Mm. honest um but yeah very very normal um first trimester symptoms I guess nothing too out of the ordinary um but it doesn't make it any easier when you're (laughs) when you're in it no 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 for sure and did you choose to go with a midwife for your care? Yeah, we did. Um, to be honest, I didn't really know not to go for a midwife. Um, hmm. I mean, we've got gynecologists and things in Tauranga, but I've since learned that going private isn't really a thing here. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't really remember how I came to find know that I needed to find a midwife but I just did so I just jumped mm. on the um find your midwife website and um contacted a few through there um and the one that I contacted was well one of the ones I contacted was um 
full, but she said, try my back up and so managed to get in with her. Um, yeah, so midwife care and then um, we opted for all the normal testing as well that was offered. Yeah, yeah. yeah. awesome. Very cool. And what about all of the sort of, I guess, mental health, we'll call it, <laughs> mental yep. health, um that comes along with being pregnant and like yeah how were you feeling mentally were you um tired like was that playing a part I guess in the first part of your pregnancy talk us through how you were feeling mentally I was feeling pretty good um excited nervous mm. all, the, all the normal feelings um yeah I I was a little bit apprehensive about some aspects of um more so labor and postpartum mm -hmm. um and just sort of discuss those with my midwife as they came about um mm. but I didn't in hindsight I was quite blase about the whole process <laughs> um yeah. and but you don't know what you don't know right so no, I just kind of sailed through the whole thing you know oh, it'll be fine it'll all work out you know it'll be what it'll be yeah. um so there wasn't a huge focus on mental health um yeah, aside sure. from yeah it'll be fine <laughs> and what about the sex of your baby did you decide that you wanted to find out the sex in your pregnancy yeah we did um but we decided to keep it a secret from our friends and family so we knew <laughs> Um, but no one else. Oh my knew. gosh, how did you do that? I don't have the self-control. <laughs> we, um, well, before we found out, because we didn't do the NIP test, um, so we didn't find out until the 20-week scan, um, yeah. we had gotten so used to like referring to Finn and they and baby, it just mm. continued on and it was quite easy to, yeah. Um, yeah. but I did slip up once and call the baby she, which was quite funny because mm -hmm. one of our friends was convinced that we were having a girl and then when she mm, found out funny. it was a boy she was like what but you said she I was like, yeah you just called me when I was really tired <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 amazing and did you do like antenatal classes what were you doing I know that you said you know you sort of just don't know what you don't know but mm -hmm. did you do anything in terms of birth prep or birth education what did that look like there yeah so we did the um antenatal classes at the parent center um so the free ones oh, cool. um yeah and that was run by one of the midwives at the hospital um and I mean it was fine it was pretty um basic in terms of if you sort of know a little bit about mm -hmm. birth and labor um and pregnancy the antenatal classes I didn't think were particularly helpful. Um, I mean, yeah. it's relatively easy to find that information um, through lots of different platforms now, you know, Instagram, mm -hmm. Facebook, um, Google. It's not it's not hard to get that information. Um, but we did um, meet some really good friends through the class. So that was really cool because um, we wouldn't have met them otherwise. So. Yeah. Way, yeah. so there was some positives <laughs> that came out of it yeah. um but yeah I don't feel yeah. like I learned a lot um and in terms of birth prep again I didn't really do anything because I didn't know what to do we talked yeah. about it in yeah. antenatal class but I didn't um yeah I didn't put too much thought into it because I didn't really know 
what to do. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Cool. And talk us through the sort of end of your pregnancy. How were you feeling? Were you ready to give birth? What did that look like? So um, pregnancy throughout the whole pregnancy was relatively smooth sailing, you know, normal aches and pains, sort of yep. the second half of the second trimester, sore back, sore hips, that kind of thing, mm -hmm. um, reflux, all, all the really fun things. Um, but, pregnancy symptoms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but I was feeling pretty good. Um, one little curveball that we had towards the end of the pregnancy was my parents split up um so navigating that while I was about to start my mm. own family um and having my family structure um totally change especially as an mm. adult was really um yeah that was really challenging um mm. because you know I was trying to be there for them but also I needed to yeah. be there for myself and yeah that was probably um the first mental health hurdle I guess um mm. which came quite late in pregnancy um but yeah was pretty pregnancy was pretty easy so I was feeling pretty lucky um I also never actually had any vomiting with morning sickness just a bit of a backtrack like I felt sick all of the time but I never was actually sick so I was very grateful for that yeah awesome and talk us through your labor starting so did it start spontaneously how far along were you yeah take us through your labor and birth story so um I had gone to the hospital for um reduced movements I think two weeks before Finn was born um I'd contacted my midwife it was the weekend and I was like hey haven't really felt and moved much today um and she said you know try drinking cold water lie on your side um that kind of thing and it didn't pick up so we popped up to the hospital took our bags just in case you know got on the monitor everything was fine we're like cool see you later <laughs> um and then when I was at clinic with her for my 30 nine week appointment um after she was feeling his position his heart rate was quite high sort of 170s 180s um and it didn't mm -hmm. settle um so i hopped on the ctg at clinic and sort of after 20 minutes half an hour that settled um so again see ya <laughs> um and then um i was 40 and three days and he still hadn't come um, but I'd woken up that day just feeling a bit off, had a headache, um, just, yeah, just a bit off colour. Um, I couldn't really mm. pinpoint anything in particular. Um, and he was moving, but not as much as what he normally would. And obviously, as you get further along, they've been out of room, so the movement changes, but it was just unusually quiet. So mm. I kept an eye on it during the day, texted my midwife in the afternoon and said, hey, like he's being quiet again today still definitely feeling him move but not as much are you happy for me to keep an eye on it or um do you want to check it out and she said no let's check it out um I'll meet you up at the hospital so rang Brad and I said hey look I'm just going to go meet our midwife at the hospital I'm just going to pop on the monitor I'll see you at home later mm -hmm. um he was like okay cool let me know how you get on you know didn't take 
my bags, didn't um, <laughs> only have my keys and my wallet and my phone and my water. Um, got there, did the urine test and everything just to check for preeclampsia. Um, everything was fine on the monitor. So just did the 20 minutes, I think it is, just to make sure that they have a good, um, a good trace. And then um, we started talking about tentative induction dates because um, I was already overdue at that point and my midwife was off call the following weekend. So she went on mm -hmm. to try and book it in for when she was when she was on. Um, and out of nowhere, Finn's heart rate dropped. Um, I think the lowest that I saw it on the CTG machine was about 30 beats per minute. Um, so that just happened totally out of nowhere. Um, yeah. And I remember looking at my midwife and her face just totally changed. She was like, you need to get on your left side. So on my left side, um, emergency bell rang. Everyone's sort of running in. Um, and it took about three minutes for his heart rate to come back up to baseline. Mm -hmm. um, and then all of a sudden the hospital staff are saying right you need to get her to a delivery suite and I'm like hang on a minute <laughs> I'm just here by <laughs> myself I haven't got anything with me like what mm. is going on um, and I said to my midwife I said I need to ring Brad and rang him he's like yeah what's going on and tried to talk and I just couldn't like choked up was started crying and so my midwife had to tell him what was going on um, but yeah. it was just so out of the blue scary um and once you know we, his heart rate was okay again and the initial shock had kind of worn off my midwife said to me look we're probably going to want to induce you tonight um mm -hmm. just because they really don't like it when babies start doing that when they can come out um so once brad got up to the hospital we met with the doctor and sure enough that was what i wanted to do um so I said to them is it okay if I go home quickly like we live just around the corner I want to have a shower I don't have my bags like I have nothing um mm. and they said yep that's fine so we popped home um got ready went back up to the hospital um and sort of got checked in and um the plan was for me to have a dose of the gel um, because that's what the hospital were doing for induction at the time um, and get my cervix to a point where they could break my waters and then go from there. Um, so I got settled in, had the midwife come in, do the gel. Um, I'd been on the CTG machine for about half an hour before they did the gel. Um, so she did the gel, that kind of thing. And then I said to her, um, can I go to the toilet now? And she just looked at me like I told her that I'd run over a cat and said, <laughs> no the gel's gonna fall out if you go to the toilet she was one of those real um old school battle axe kind of <laughs> midwives and yeah. I was like oh I no one told me that I, I didn't know that I couldn't go to the toilet you know before I had the gel I've just been strapped to this machine and so then I had to sit there for an hour or so with like absolutely busting <laughs> waiting to go yeah. to the toilet so that the gel didn't fall out um so that wasn't a great experience to the the start of the whole process um yeah. brad went home because we were like well you know you may as well get some rest um and it was sort of 8 8 30 at this time um and then they, i just tried to get some rest um woke up a couple of times in the night because you know hospital beds aren't particularly comfortable um 
and woke up had a headache because the hospital was always so warm <laughs> um so mm. managed to get the headache under control and then woke up and felt just kind of this wetness and I was like huh that's weird like have I peed myself and it's like am I am <laughs> I is that my bloody show like what's going on stood up and there was this massive gush <laughs> and I oh um I think that's my waters and I'd gotten off the bed on, on the wrong side to where the call bell was so I had to uh, toddle around the bed to the call bell ring the call bell so I'm just like trailing waters all around the room <laughs> um and then the midwife came in and I said uh, I think my waters have broken and she took one look at the floor and said um yep <laughs> and then she was like you you go jump in the shower um and you know I'll change your bedding and tidy up and everything so did that was back on the monitor she said are you feeling any tightenings or anything and I said oh hardly like very very mild in terms mm. of like a period cramp she was like okay well we'll just keep an eye on it um nothing happened overnight really I did get a heat pack at one point just um more for comfort like I wasn't in pain but it was just a bit niggly um and I wasn't in active labor by the time um like the doctors switched over in the morning so 8 eight thirty or whatever it was um, mm -hmm. and so then they decided that I would go on the Sintosin trip. So they got all that sorted, put me into a delivery room, um, and hooked up to the trip. And the midwife that I had, um, looking after me was actually the midwife that had done our antenatal classes. So it was mm -hmm. kind of nice having a familiar face. Um, so I started mm -hmm. with the Sintosin trip at about 10.30 AM, um, and yeah very quickly it went from oh yeah this is fine to absolutely not fine and I was really <laughs> really struggling yeah. um yeah and you know like contractions themselves aren't fun but especially when I mean everyone has said to me since and even at the time you know syntocinin is awful the contractions are mm. hard and fast um and you'll probably struggle a lot more than what you normally would um yeah. I was like okay cool that's reassuring um <laughs> and so by about midday I was like this is ridiculous I can't do this anymore like I need to have some sort of painkiller I tried the gas and air yeah. and it was fine but because they were coming on so strongly and so intensely I was really tensing up um which obviously doesn't help um mm. so called the anaesthetist got the epidural um and she put it in and then she got called away to an emergency um in the ED so she had to leave um I didn't get so I didn't get the pump hooked up so that I could top up the epidural and it was maybe half an hour or so once I'd had the epidural and I said mm -hmm. to the new midwife at this point I said it's not working on the left side of my body she said what and I said I can feel everything on the left side and she was like oh well that's not good and I said yeah, it's not um so I mean before I had the epidural they they had to turn the syntocin and drip off because I was basically getting contractions one on top of the other and I wasn't getting enough of a break to, for them to safely do the epidural so once they turned it back on it was intense from the get-go but I would say doubly intense because everything was getting felt on my left side and then they said mm. to me um okay well we need to lie you on your left side to see if that'll help 
the um, you know help the epidural drain into the left side. So I'm in twice the pain on the side that's sore. <laughs> going, this is ridiculous. Um, mm. Eventually, we were able to get the anaesthetist back, um, and she was able to prescribe me the pump. Um, but it never really worked on my left side very well at all. Um, and so then uh, they did a VE at about five o'clock, I think, and I was about mm -hmm. six centimetres. So then they called my midwife and she came up um, and we were just chilling as much as we could in between, <laughs> in between contractions um brad was having a snooze on the couch we were just well the cat the cat's not a couch it's one of those awful like church chairs isn't it <laughs> there's no support um yeah and yeah so we just kind of it was a waiting game really i tried to rest but couldn't because i was just getting such intense pain on my left side um yeah. and eventually started to feel pressure um and I think it was about nine o'clock when I said to my midwife, I was like, I just am feeling this pressure. And she's like, what does it feel like? And I said, well, you know, when you go for a bike ride and you haven't been for a bike ride for a while and you end up with a really sore bum. <laughs> she was like, yeah, yeah, it kind of feels like that. She was like, okay, well, let's just check and see where you're at. Um, yeah. And I was about nine and a half centimetres. And she said, there's a little oh, bit of your cervix. Um, and so let's just try and push that out of the way. So this was at about nine o'clock. Um, so got that out of the way. And then she was like, okay, we'll just wait for a bit, see what happens. Um, but, you know, should be having a baby soon. Um, and I said to her, like, I'm feeling all this pressure. Can I push against the pressure? And she's like, yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Mm. Um, so was pushing against the pressure sort of on and off. Um, but obviously with having the epidural, I was strapped to the bed on my back mm. um, and just didn't really feel like I was getting anywhere. Um, and I think probably after about 45 minutes was when we started trying really actively for me to push and get them out with my contractions. Um, and I was just working against gravity and I just couldn't get it like it, it was so frustrating because I was you know pushing and um throughout my whole labor actually Finn's heart rate was up and down all over the show so there was hospital staff constantly coming in to check the trace mm -hmm. and make sure that he was okay and then as I progressed in labor the um every time I contracted um his heart rate would drop and then he would get tired and so it would take longer for him to come back to um baseline um and that just sort of kept going on and I was getting tired and he was getting tired and yeah. um my midwife said I'm just going to go and talk to the registrar and just see what what the story is um so she went and got the doctor and he came in and um Finn's head was really low so he was right there but I just couldn't get him mm. around my pelvic bone and the registrar said um so I was talking about forceps and an episiotomy and I just like the thought of that now even makes my skin crawl because I had said to my mm. midwife in our birth chat our birth prep um appointment I said I really don't like the idea of 
four steps because the idea of someone mm. pushing sorry the idea of someone pulling and me pushing it doesn't feel nice to me um I said that mm. it feels really traumatic and I don't yeah I just don't want that um and she said mm. no fair enough um and then but then the doctor came in and that was what he started talking about and um again it's you don't know what you don't know right um I, mm. I didn't know how to ask well what are the other options what you know what else mm, yeah. can we do I'd said to my midwife before yeah. if it comes to instrumental I would much rather just go have a cesarean because that you know I've had four abdominal surgeries mm. that doesn't that's not scary to me um yeah. but in the moment I knew his head was so low that if I had mm. said actually I want a cesarean a they would probably say no and b they would have to like push him back to get him out and I thought mm. oh gosh what is the like what is the best case scenario here um and I couldn't really find one but also mm. you know both Brad and I didn't know how to ask what the other options yeah. were um yeah and the only thing that I could come up with was I said to the doctor can you come back but can you just give me a minute I just want to try and get him get him out and he mm. said yeah sure um so somehow managed to get onto all fours <laughs> which with dead legs is quite a feat um and mm. tried that way and I felt like I was pushing so much better because I wasn't working against gravity um yeah. but unfortunately Finn's heart rate did not cope very well with me being on all fours um mm -hmm. and so then I had to go back onto my back um doctor came back in and I was like just do it just get him out and I remember feeling so defeated because like, I couldn't do it um mm. but also I was going with the option that I really didn't want but I didn't know like that was yeah. the only option that was presented to me yeah. so yeah. it was kind of like well that's what we have to do he's starting to get unhappy yeah. I'm knackered what else do we do I want my baby here safe um and mm. so because he was so low we were able to do it in the delivery room we didn't have to go to theater so that was one positive mm. um so I had the episiotomy um and I had my midwife on one side Brad on the other side and you know legs up in the stirrups and I remember him starting to come out in just this awful pain and I now know that I tore internally as well so I had the mm. episiotomy scar but then I tore into my vagina as well right. um yeah. and in my head I just wanted to scream stop you're hurting me mm. um which is exactly what I was afraid of with having to have mm. um you know that kind of intervention um yeah I also knew that I couldn't because it, he needed to come out and if I said stop it was only going to prolong the process um so mm. I just sort of with tears in my eyes just was squeezing Brad's hand and my midwife's hand so hard just to try and get him out and mm. anyway he with two pulls he was here um and he was screaming and crying and had a massive head because it was so swollen poor guy <laughs> um mm. and you know brought him up to my chest and I just even now I just feel so I was so shell-shocked um mm. and everything was it was such an out-of-body experience mm. um but not 
unfortunately not a positive one um yeah and because we'd had the intervention pediatrics were there so they took Finn over to the table to um you know get get him checked out just as precaution really he didn't need it um and then got stitched up um which I think took about 40 minutes so I was just lying there um yeah so stitched up um took about 40 minutes and then you know like we did the the normal check and got Finn weighed and all that kind of thing but I just when I think about it it's just quite um an empty feeling Mm. and um you know my midwife made me um a toasty and I ate that and you know got the sponge bath and back to um the postnatal ward and I remember when you know everyone was getting ready to leave Brad was getting ready to leave we'd done the first feed in the delivery suite and all that kind of thing and I said to my midwife I said what happens if he wakes up and she just looked at me as if it was the most obvious answer ever and said will you feed him and I was like in my head I was like I don't know what to do like I how do I how do I look after this thing um and managed to get some sleep um and he did wake up screaming and I was like oh my gosh what do I do picked him up and he settled back down to sleep which was fine um but yeah it was a really quite a stark um Mm. introduction I guess into parenthood um that was really kind of scary from the get-go um but unexpectedly scary in terms of um everything was fine and then all of a sudden Finn's heart rate was not fine and it was all go yeah yeah and I think like just listening to your story Taylor I think like you'd be maybe surprised or maybe not surprised at how many people have a similar birth story to you and for me like there's all sorts of birth trauma that like unpacks and plays out for so many different reasons but like what you've explained to me is like just the the so most common birth trauma story and oh gosh I just feel like there's so many different and I know we've got another birth story for you to talk to which is Mm -hmm. different but I just feel like there's so many like things in your story that could have been different for you had somebody else just taken the second to go how is this experience for the mum like how is the person giving birth experiencing this right now and Mm -hmm. understand the emergency from a heart rate perspective and like absolutely understand all of those things but I just think so often it's looked over forgotten not even thought about that giving birth is such a transformative and huge like the most incredible but also the like biggest event in a person's life and to just overlook that to get the baby out quickly which yes is an emergency and does need to happen sometimes but without consideration for how that feels for you or like what you had talked about previously with not wanting in your birth and all of these different things like Mm. yeah just I can see it I can I can almost feel it for you because I've talked to so many mums that have you know a really similar experience yeah and I didn't have a birth plan as such um Mm. I just sort of had an idea of what I wanted you know ideally I'm sure like most people would have labored at home for as long as possible and then um you know, go into the birth centre and if I'd found that yeah. I wasn't, you know, I wanted 
you know, stronger medication or whatever, then take that mm. step by step. But I didn't even get the chance to do that. Mm. Um, and then to, yeah, I mean, just that whole hospital experience in general was not mm. pleasant. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that was really, it was really tough. Um, but yeah. we were able to transfer to the birth center the next day. Mm -hmm. um which was really good because I just wanted to get out of the hospital um yeah and yeah so we were at the birth center for two nights um and the the care there is lovely um mm -hmm. but I guess because I'd gone into fight or flight basically straight away mm -hmm. um I was so anxious from the get-go mm -hmm. um it was mm -hmm. really hard for me to sleep um you know, I would lie down and even at the birth center and Finn would be sound asleep, hardly making a noise. And all I could hear in my head was him crying. Um, mm. And just knowing that I was the person that he needed um, because, you know, he was hungry. He needed feeding and I was, I was the feeder. Um, yeah. But not really knowing how to do that. Um, that was, I guess, in hindsight the start of it for me mm, um mm. and I remember um Brad's family came to visit and I was so excited to meet him because Finn is the first um grandchild on both mm -hmm. sides of our family so yeah it was very exciting um but they Finn was asleep when they got there and they wanted to wait until he woke up obviously um but that took a couple of hours and I just needed to rest, you know, like I'd had a baby mm. Mm. 36 hours ago. <laughs> um, mm, yeah. And I remember, I I mean, it's not easy in any situation to be like, hey, you've overstayed your welcome, you need to go. Mm. Um, mm. Alone when you've just had a baby. And I just ended up feeling so overwhelmed and crying. And then eventually they left, bless them. Um, but the tears didn't stop. So mm. it was basically they started and then that was that was it. And um, I talked to my mum the next day because she was due to come up, I think, 10 days or so after Finn was born. And I was like, this is mm -hmm. so hard. I said, can you come earlier? And she was like, yeah, of course. So because um, all my family is in Christchurch. Um, mm -hmm. So she came up earlier. Um, and yeah but I mean even once we got home from the birth center I couldn't lie down on the couch and rest and my brain was mm. just hamster in a wheel you know constant yeah. um I would go outside to try and get some fresh air and just end up pacing the driveway um mm. and I remember so clearly in tears to Brad saying I just want to enjoy it like I thought I was going to and it mm. even makes me feel teary now and just thinking I would do anything right now to be pregnant again because I didn't feel like this when I was pregnant and when I was pregnant mm. I was excited and I was looking forward yeah. to it and this is not what I thought it was going to be mm. um and so when Finn was about four days old I took myself off to the doctor because I knew that something wasn't right um mm. but with him only being four days old oh it's normal things will get better mm. it's fine mm. you know it's just the baby blues and you, you go with it because they're the professionals right they 
Mm. Yeah, you've got all these hormones and you've no idea what's going on. And yeah, it probably is normal for people to feel like this. And when you don't know any different, you go along with what you're told. Mm. But yeah, I, I really did know that early on that something wasn't right. Um, and I really struggled even once we got home, especially once we got home actually, um, with breastfeeding um once my yeah. milk came in um and like my boobs were so engorged that Finn just couldn't latch um mm. and so it was really painful for me he was really struggling um and long story short he had a posterior tongue tie um mm -hmm. so rather than it being right at the front it was further in the back um and that wasn't officially diagnosed until he was about five weeks old. Um, the I worked with one of the lactation consultants at the hospital um, and we saw her when he was five or six days old just to try and help with um, his latch. And she said to me since that she did notice it then, but it's one of those things that it's not a problem unless it's a problem. Um, and right. she thought that the progress that we had made when we did those feeds quite early on um, was going to be enough to get us through. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't. Um, but because of mm. the, the tongue tie being quite far back, the easiest way I can describe fin feeding is he was really chompy. Um, so my nipples were sore very early on um, and every feed was painful. Um, mm. But again, I mean, I've said it a few times already, you don't know what you don't know. Um, I was, I didn't know that feeding wasn't meant to be like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew that it was pain, like people sometimes say that it was uncomfortable, but was what yeah. I was feeling, was that pain or was it just discomfort? Yeah. I, I wasn't really sure, but that yeah. fed into the anxiety of not being able to rest because you know he was feeding mm. every three hours or whatever it was and he would go down to sleep and then in my head I'm like okay well it's you know two hours until he has to feed again and it's going to be really sore mm. and then, you know I've got to deal with that and then I settle him again and and you know Brad saying to me that sometimes you know we'd feed him and he wouldn't quite get enough and then he'd say I think he's still hungry and it would just mm my my heart just would end up in my stomach just filled with mm. dread mm. um and yeah so that the really difficult feeding journey combined with the difficult birth um I did end up with a maternal mental health referral I think mm -hmm. possibly even when I went to the doctor that first time but she said to me they're not going to do anything until he's six weeks old um mm. and which is ridiculous isn't that the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard like why are they waiting until a baby's six week old if you've got a mum like asking for help I yeah. just honestly I could talk about that yeah. for hours yeah mm. um and then actually within that when Finn was about three weeks old we had that um COVID lockdown the 2021 one so any kind of normality that we were starting to get into the bosom to of you know being able to go out and see people was just taken away so I was you know stuck inside with 
not really knowing how to feed my baby, being anxious every time I was meant to feed him, not really being able to rest, like just in this absolute pit, basically. Um, and, you know, people talk about the newborn bubble and how it's so great. Well, I, I had a newborn swamp. It was awful. <laughs> um, mm. And so when Finn was about six weeks old, I did have a chat with maternal mental health and I was feeling a bit better then. Um, but still not great. Um, but we sort of discussed that um, the maternal mental health input probably wasn't really needed at that point um, and instead did a referral to um, the birth centre for some counselling, um, which for all intents and purposes, I think is a great service. Um, mm. But for me, it probably wasn't what I needed. Um mm. And I guess just I've had um, therapy before for um, previous trauma with a psychotherapist and that was really helpful. Like I'm a very um, mm. solutions kind of person rather than a, yeah. so how are you feeling? <laughs> um, <laughs> and the counselling was a lot of, so how are you feeling? Um, and mm-hmm. some of the sessions were great. Um but one session in particular that I remember was um, if you could give, um, you know, the the yucky feelings that you have, you know, about birth, feeding, all that kind of thing, if you could give it a name, what would it be? And I have a very visual brain. And so my brain took that as a, oh, well, we can create like a little alter ego in your head. <laughs> Um, mm. which to me at the time was totally normal. In hindsight, for anyone that I said, oh, I've got this little person in my head that's like, you know, when I'm feeling okay, she just sits in the corner and drinks a cup of tea. Terrifying. Mm. Like, like, I remember <laughs> so clearly saying that to my mum, mm. who's, you know, a two-hour flight away. And I'm like, yeah, it's fine. It, we dubbed her Patricia. I was like, Patricia's sitting in the corner. No worries. I'm, mm. I'm doing great. Um, but you know, that was also the voice that was convincing me that, um, you know, Brad and Finn would be so much better without me because I was mm. having such a shit time and I couldn't, um, I couldn't be the mum that I wanted to be. I couldn't be the partner that I wanted to be. And, you know, I was a burden and things weren't going right and feeding didn't go right and nothing's going right. So it was probably just easier if you just, you know, pack up and leave. Um, mm. So that was really challenging. Um, but I guess that session with the counsellor was sort of the start of the real downward spiral for me. Um, yeah. When, yeah, it just really um, all came to a head, basically. And Finn was about two and a half months old at this point. Mm. Um, and I had tried everything to get feeding to work. Um, we got his lip tie, his tongue and lip tie fixed when we could. Um, I talked about maybe me having Raynard's um, with a lactation consultant um, or vasospasm of the nipple um, and trying medication with that just to see if we could help alleviate some of the pain so that I could actually Mm. have an enjoyable experience and nothing was working. Um, And I remember uh, my mum and my nan were coming up to visit and I was holding Finn bawling my eyes out before I had to go to the airport and pick them up just saying I'm so sorry that I can't be a good mum to you and he was two and a half months old he didn't he didn't know 
but mm-hmm. you know I just it was it was horrible and my so I went and picked up my mum and my nan and my nan has said to me a few times since then she said I as soon as I saw you she said I was scared shitless like it, it was not mm-hmm. you um and hearing your you know close family say that about you mm-hmm. is like wow you know I, I really was struggling and I tried to get the help sooner but no one listened um mm-hmm. and you know the help that I was offered was not actually what I needed um yeah I went back to the doctor told her about Patricia and she was like okay I'm gonna do a maternal mental health and a crisis team <laughs> referral yeah. um yeah. which at the time I was like okay whatever yeah cool um but this is fine like my brain is very visual mm. it's, it's not a big deal um it is quite a big deal because maternal mental health came over the next morning um and they were on to me straight away um which is great but I really mm. wish that it hadn't got to that point um yeah because it could have been resolved so much sooner um mm. but once I was involved with maternal mental health um I made the decision that I should have made weeks earlier and stopped breastfeeding um mm-hmm. we'd been able to sort of manage um, up until then with me pumping at least once a day just so that um I didn't have to have thin on me um and it wasn't mm. as painful pumping because the pump wasn't you know chomping <laughs> um mm. and that was a really great bonding chance for Finn and Brad as well um they also got me on to some medication um so anti-anxiety antidepressants and also um it's a medication called quetiapine um which essentially just helps calm your brain down so it meant that Mm -hmm. I was able to switch off enough at night time so that I could go to sleep um and we just sort of discussed you know take it hour by hour if you Mm. need to rest as much as you can um and because I'd stopped I'd you know just said okay I'm not going to feed anymore um my mum and my nan were here they were able to help with Finn so I didn't have to wake up to feed him Mm. um my mum had to go home after the weekend but my nan stayed for a couple of weeks um because she really didn't want to go home um Mm. with me at struggling as much as I was um I got referred to a postnatal support group which was a publicly funded one um I got a family start referral which uh, family start is a branch of Plunkett um and they just sort of described family start to me as someone who comes into the home and is just an extra support um mm-hmm. and they said you know that especially because your main support like yes Brad's family is here but your main support people don't live here um Mm. it's really important that you have someone that you you know that is just for you really Mm. um and they said to me look some sort of um input is going to be helpful um Mm. but it's going to take too long basically to see one of our psychiatrists so because of the previous trauma I had had funded um funded psychotherapy so they said tap into that again um 
because you should just be able to um there's no doubt in my mind that your birth experience mm. has, has triggered that previous trauma um so see if you can find a psychologist or someone and just get onto that um as soon as you can so I did that um and the psychologist that I saw was fantastic um and she specializes in EMDR which is the eye movement desensitization re programming I think something along those lines mm -hmm. um it, it's a real passive um you know if, if I describe it to people I always say it's a bit woo woo <laughs> because she says you know think <laughs> about think about x y and z and then all you do is um follow her fingers and then she says okay so now what is like how are you feeling what does it bring up um and that was fantastic so all of a sudden I had all of the support that I needed probably two months prior um mm -hmm. but once I had it we were on the we were on the journey to things yeah, getting better yeah. and you know prior to that period of time there were days where um Brad would come home and Finn and I would both be in hysterics um mm -hmm. and you know babies are so smart they pick up on all your anxiety mm -hmm. and I, I yeah. didn't I didn't know that at the time but once I started feeling better he was such a happier baby and it just mm. it changed the whole game for us as a family because we were all able yeah. to enjoy um yeah. enjoy that time so mm. yeah mm. gosh I just yeah there's so many different things I could pull out of <laughs> that part of your um your story but I'm so glad that even though it took far longer than it should have that, that you ended up with the help that you really needed yeah I guess like for people listening and definitely for me like how did that play out with you and Brad in that time like obviously you're adjusting as parents to having a baby in your relationship yep. and then you've got this overlay of like really serious mental health um playing out for you post-birth yep. and in your postpartum yep. period what did that look like just like day-to-day -day between you and Brad and like yeah trying to parent and like I know that you were trying to breastfeed through that time like yeah how did it impact your relationship um so before I guess the the real downfall um I Brad could see that breastfeeding was really hard for me and it was like emotionally mm. taking its toll um he he's fantastic um mm. he never tell me that I had to do something a certain way he's like you know you it's, it's your body you make the decisions that you need to do but yeah. you know what I think um and he yeah he could he could see that it was really taking its toll and he would have liked mm. to have stopped sooner but he would also yeah. never tell me that I shouldn't try yeah. um yeah and when I guess I was in the real heavy fog and you know just thinking that it would be so much easier if um you know I just picked up and left and you know left him with Finn mm. and you know I, I needed to go and work on myself and um I, I remember having a conversation with my mum I said you know I've I've had this trauma before and I was able to work through that because I I wasn't in a relationship at the time I didn't have a child I, I don't know mm -hmm how to get better when there's other people other than me to consider and I had to have those conversations with Brad too and they were really hard 
heavy conversations but every single time that we had those conversations he just looked at me with such love and compassion in his eyes and it makes me <laughs> emotional um talking about it and he said don't worry i'm not going hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Going anywhere. Um, and I remember so clearly saying to him, I just, I just feel like, I don't have a spark and he's like don't worry I can still see it yeah. but you're still in there yeah um yeah so yeah it was really really tough um mm. but in saying that it set up such a great foundation for us as parents and as mm. a couple to yeah. um have really important conversations that are hard yeah. without yeah. um without any animosity or judgment or anything mm. we just mm. lay it all out and say how it is and we're like okay this is how we're feeling about this or mm. this is why I think this and really hash it out and come up with a solution that we're both happy with without it yeah. turning into um, something bigger than it needs to be and we're both yeah. really good I mean admittedly it's me that will bring something up more often than him but <laughs> he yeah. doesn't shut down the conversation he acknowledges that yeah. yes it is something that we need to talk about um and so yeah. very lucky that our communication is so good because it has helped in mm. so many different situations um yeah. so shitty that we had to go through that to get to that point but yeah. um yeah. from a relationship perspective it's um actually really helped in a roundabout way mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah yeah I can definitely understand and appreciate that I think yeah you sort of don't know the mental health like challenges that they can have on a relationship but equally like you talk about the sort of positives that can sometimes come out of that at the end and yeah um probably set you up really well for like your next postpartum period and being prepared and um yeah able to have those hard conversations right so maybe a nice segue for us <laughs> <laughs> into um your second pregnancy so did you always want to have another baby like once you sort of came out of that fog and you were getting mm -hmm. the help that you needed and and you know Finn got a bit older and and things sort of changed for you yeah. how were you feeling about your family and did you want to have another baby and yeah talk us through talk us through that yeah so even before we had Finn we always um had talked about having at least two children um and I was quite surprised that I wasn't put off having more kids after the experience that I had with Finn. Mm. I was more okay, that was really shit. But it's got to be better next time. We know so much mm. more. Like surely yeah. it's not gonna go that way again. And if it does, yeah. we we know what to do. Um and so we yeah had sort of talked about having a two ish year age gap um yeah so started talking about it more seriously um after Finn's first birthday because 
although we got pregnant easily with Finn, I was very aware that it might not happen that way. Mm. Second time round, and very aware that um, secondary infertility is a thing. Um, And so we said, okay, ideally, um, we'd like to get pregnant between November and February because um, Brad works in um, kiwi fruit during harvest and <laughs> he was like I don't want you to have to worry about a newborn um, when you know I'm working out of the house when it's kiwi fruit harvest because that's just non-stop work for three months mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. Um, and my friend from antenatal class um, we had talked about well, we joked about um, getting pregnant around the same time because they wanted a similar age gap um, between their babies. And, um, yeah, so November rocked around and we were like, okay, I guess we start trying. <laughs> um, so I got the ovulation sticks, the um, digital clear blue ones. My period was pretty regular, but um, I still just wanted to make sure that I knew when I was ovulating because mm. – I know that that can be a bit off um, and I wanted to give us the best chance that we could. Um, So I did that and um, my my friend from antenatal class, I was at work one day and she um, sent me a photo of their daughter wearing a t-shirt that said big sister and said, you and Brad, you better get busy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And um, we actually ended up getting pregnant that same week. Um, so, oh yeah, so very fortunate that, again, it was an easy experience for us um, in terms of getting pregnant. Um, and, yeah, first pop, we we were pregnant. Um, yeah, and then so when I found out and told my friend, she was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. We get to do it again. <laughs> um, and she hadn't had a great um birth postpartum experience either so it was really great to have that um support with someone who knows exactly what it was like the first time around um and to be able to navigate being pregnant with a toddler (laughs) and all that kind of thing yeah amazing and how were you feeling in this pregnancy was it different to your first time around it was um in some ways it was in other ways it was different um before I found out I was pregnant I had the biggest sweet tooth um like mm-hmm. just could not like nothing that I had that was sweet was satisfying me and I was like what is going on <laughs> um and we were away so the weekend before I found out I was pregnant we were away um in Hawke's Bay doing a um you know the winery cycling thing for a friend's birthday mm-hmm. um and I felt fine but I purposely was like, mm, I don't think I should drink very much, just in case. <laughs> like, I, I don't think that I am pregnant, but if I really have a good time and then find out that I am, I will not feel very good about that. Um, so I think I had <laughs> half a drink the whole day. Um, and we went out for breakfast the next morning and I got coffee and my eggs on toast. And about halfway through my eggs on toast, I thought, mm, I do not feel good. Um, and eggs was one of my aversions with Finn and then in the car on the way home I was feeling nauseous and I said to Brad I said I don't feel very well he was like I reckon you're pregnant I was like nah <laughs> <Totally silly. laughs> um, and I took a test when we got home 
Um, and I thought I could see a line, but I wasn't sure. And we went to the supermarket, um, went and picked up Finn from his grandparents. And then the next morning I did another test um, and it was faint, but it was definitely a positive line. And I was like, oh my God. And took it out to the kitchen. Brad was um, making his lunch and he said, is that a line? I said, yes. Uh. He's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and then he just had this <laughs> massive smile on his face. He was like, I knew it. He was like, I knew it. And mm-hmm. yeah, so it was shock again because it happened so easily and but a, a lot more excitement this time. Yeah. Um so then I was like, okay, well I need to get on to my midwife. Um because the from when we had Finn to now, the um unfortunately the midwife situation in Tauranga hasn't improved. Um mm-hmm. I know that midwives are a hot commodity and book up very quickly so um but I'd actually found out from a friend who was pregnant at the time that the midwife that we'd had with Finn was going overseas um on her OE so I was like okay well (laughs) that's a bit of a spanner in the works um (laughs) and so then I was feeling quite nervous about finding a midwife uh, mm. because they didn't know the history um, and at least you know with the midwife that we had with Finn she had been through it all with us and she yeah knows yeah. how hard it was and but now I was faced with having to build up rapport with someone who I didn't know but also try mm. and explain how hard it was in terms of birth and postpartum and yeah. breastfeeding in particular and you know, I wasn't sure if I wanted to breastfeed again and all that kind of thing. Um, but mm. I was very fortunate with the midwife that we did end up with. Um, she, when she said to me that she was available, she called and we chatted on the phone for about 45 minutes. Um, and it was like chatting to my mum or my best friend. Like she mm. is just fantastic. Um, and she said, I, I get it. You know, I, I understand how hard it can be. And she was like, it's okay, we're gonna we're gonna get through it. And I knew mm-hmm. instantly that we had made such a great decision having her and that she was gonna be exactly what we needed in terms of um yeah. helping us have a different experience. Um mm-hmm. yeah, so that was really cool. Um I was pretty certain of my dates, so she just wanted to do blood tests and wasn't that keen on me having um, a dating scan. But I guess the anxiety sort of took over and still in the back of my head, I'm like, it shouldn't be this easy for you to get pregnant, you know. And, mm. you know, you've been told for so many years that it's going to be hard and now you're on your second easy pregnancy. Like, what? That that just doesn't yeah. That just doesn't seem like it should be right. Um, so anyway, I um, said to my midwife, I was like, look, I'm sure that everything's fine, but the anxiety is really getting to me. Um, is it okay if I have a dating scan? She said, yeah, absolutely. So sent off that um, referral until I got the dating scan and everything was fine. It was a strongly heartbeat. Um, and it was reassuring as well, knowing that it wasn't twins. <laughs> it was just one baby. <laughs> um, yeah. And... Yeah, and also I was um, a bit nervous about um, what my midwife was going to say in terms of 
the mental health history um, and the fact mm. that I was still on medication and pregnant and that kind of thing. Um, but never once did she bring up the fact that I was going to have to stop or change my medication. It was just sort of, okay, yep, you're on medication. That's helping you. Cool. Um, yeah. Which was fantastic because I, I didn't know if that was going to be an issue or not. Mm. Um, yeah, so then I started spotting at about 11 weeks on and off mm -hmm. for about a week. Um, and I'd mentioned at my dating scan that um, there was a little bit of a, a bleed um, that they think was just from the blastocyst, like when the embryo mm -hmm. was formed and um, but they yeah. said it's nothing really um, to worry about. But then yeah, I started bleeding on and off. So contacted my midwife mm -hmm. and had a scan just to check that everything was okay. And sure enough, the spotting was most likely just that, um, just that bleed. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was a bit of a <laughs> bit of a hiccup um, quite yeah. early on. Um, and then I guess the start of hiccups from there was had the 12 week scan, everything was fine. Um, but on my blood work, um, the so there's a marker that they test for um it's called pape or like it falls under the small for gestational age guidelines mm -hmm. um and i'd never heard of it until i was pregnant with Maeve. but um essentially it's a marker on your blood work that indicates how well your placenta is growing or has implanted um yeah. and mine was a little bit low so they consider low to be less than 0.4 and mine was 0.34 so not super low mm -hmm. but enough to warrant a referral through to the obstetric yeah. team at the hospital um and my midwife yeah. said to me I know what they're going to do they're going to want to do growth scans um and mm. they're going to want you on aspirin um and then they also put me on calcium as well and the aspirin mm -hmm. and the calcium um is just to make sure that my blood was the best quality blood it could be um to get to the placenta to feed the baby as well as possible um but obviously because aspirin is a blood thinner I could only take that until 36 weeks yeah. um yeah so that was the pregnancy first trimester journey I guess with Maeve yeah did you decide to find out her sex as well sorry I don't think you mentioned that Yes, we did. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I at the scan, as she said, you know, see those three lines, and in my head, I'm like, okay, that's a penis and two testicles. And she said, that's what <laughs> makes up the labia. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, are you sure? <laughs> um, because I had a feeling that it was a girl because um, I just felt so different. Like, yes, some of my mm. symptoms were the same, but I'd never really had a sweet tooth with them. Um, mm. Yeah, there was just a couple of things that were different. Um, yeah, so then we had our wee girl, which was really cool. Um, mm -hmm. And then because of them being concerned about her growth, potentially, um, I got to have a growth scan at 28, 32, and 36 weeks. Um, mm -hmm. So I got to see her a bit more often than we normally would, which was cool. Um, yeah. And I also said to my midwife pretty early on I said look if her size becomes an issue I really don't want to be induced again like I had such mm. a rubbish time with it um I really want to avoid that if possible yeah. um and 
she said it's pretty unlikely that they would do a cesarean straight off the bat um, if there is mm. an issue because higher risk for you, higher risk for the baby, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but had a really reassuring te- um, chat with her just about how much the um, induction process at the hospital has changed since I had Finn. Mm. Um, and she said, you know, I can't think of any second time mums that I've had that have had to, you know, that have been induced and then had to have this intocin and drip. Um, so I felt a lot better about that. Um, mm. And I also did your birth project this time and I got the mm-hmm. journal as well, um, which was really cool tools to have because I knew going into this pregnancy that I needed to put work into my mindset if I wanted it to be yeah. different. I couldn't just hope for the best. Um, Mm-hmm. And I wanted to put in the work as well um, because I wanted yeah. to get to the point where even if things didn't go how we wanted them to, that I yeah. could handle it mentally and it wasn't going to mm-hmm. rock me so much. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And so I yeah, just sort of started tinkering away with your birth project, I think from about 26 weeks. Um, and mm-hmm. got Brad involved with the um, you know, the partner lesson yeah, and nice. comfort methods yeah. and all that kind of thing. And pretty early on started practicing um, the breathing techniques, even when you know Finn was being a bit of a terror and I needed to <laughs> calm down. <laughs> um, and yeah. you know, like I'd hop in the bath and I was hunting out positive um, Kiwi birth tales episodes of you know, mums that had had a rough time first time round, but then had a really positive mm. experience second time round. And I was like, yeah, like this can be different. Um, and so all the growth scans and everything were fine. Um, and I got to my 36 week growth scan and um, I'd had an increase in fluid. Um, so my deepest pocket of fluid had increased a bit and also Maeve's tummy measurement had increased quite a bit. Um, so when I had the appointment with my midwife the next day, she was like, look, this isn't great. Um, it can mean that you've developed gestational diabetes, um, increased mm. fluid and a larger tummy measurement are the two things that are sort of flags for that. Um, yeah. And she said, but it's really hard to know because your um, your 26-week gestational screening was well within normal. Um, she said mm-hmm. it is possible that that's just her and she's going to have a cute wee chubby tummy. Um, but we need to rule that out, basically. Um, and so it was my 36-week appointment and we had planned on starting to talk about birth then. But she said to me, until we know whether, what we're dealing with, whether it is gd or not um let's not go into it too much because obviously if it is mm. gd you're going to have to have obstetric input they might look at inducing you you can't birth at the birth center all that kind of thing um but we did have a really good i guess just general chat about birth and preferences and would i be okay with an epidural and um mm. what about vitamin k for the baby and um how she would protect my space and um 
enough she was concerned at any point about me or the baby and we were at the birth center as an example she would um the example that she gave me was checking the heart rate and if she wasn't happy um she would explain to me why and then we would check it again um you know a couple minutes later and then if she still wasn't happy then she would explain why and recommend that we went up to the hospital and mm. she said ultimately it's your decision but I'm going to lay out all the consequences so that you can make a really informed decision um yeah. so that in itself was so reassuring because even though I was presented with maybe having to birth at the hospital which I wasn't that keen on based on what happened last time I was like okay well if it does happen it's going to be fine um and she did the normal checks and everything um she said my fundal measurement wasn't huge um which was reassuring given the scan results and I think maybe jumped from like the 75th to the 98th percentile because of that big tummy measurement um <laughs> and when she felt Maeve's position and then checked her heart rate her heart rate was high it was 170s 180s and it stayed high and I said to her this is what happened with him and she said mm. yeah um and she said well we'll just sit down sit down for five minutes and then I'll check again and so she checked again and it was still high and I said I had to go on the monitor when this happened with him. She said, yeah, I'm going to recommend that you pop up to the hospital and get monitored. Um, she said, have you drunken enough today? And I said, it's like, mm. uh, you know, my appointments were always early in the morning, so I hadn't had heaps of water, but I said, I haven't not had anything. Mm. Um, she said, a high heart rate at this stage kind of indicates two things. It is an infection or that you're dehydrated. So they'll probably put you on fluids. Um, I'll give them a ring, let them know that you're coming. Um, so popped up to the hospital and I was like, oh, this is a bit like deja vu. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. rang, rang Brad and I said, hey, look, baby's heart rate's high. I need to go get checked out. And he's like, okay, well, just let me know. <laughs> um, and so I was on the um, monitor for about an hour and it stayed her heart rate stayed high for about an hour um and then it came down and they decided that they were happy with that um so I left and that was fine um there was no nothing that they could see that was indicating um that there was an infection or anything that was um untoward they just like she was just having a, a bit of a an episode um so the next day I finished work, which was great because I was so over it by then. Um, mm -hmm. And it was uh, Finn's birthday the next Monday. And I'd said to my workmate um, when I finished up, I said, oh, she can come whenever she wants. I was like, just not this weekend. My midwife's off. And um, I just want to get, you know, we're going to the zoo for Finn's birthday and I just want to get through Finn's birthday. And she's like, You'll be fine you're not even 37 weeks yet like don't worry about it mm -hmm. um and then the thursday friday i had really intense braxton hicks um i had them pretty early on throughout both pregnancies um but these ones were different i only felt them from my belly button up towards my ribs um and my whole belly was going rock hard for two to three minutes at a time um and then it would ease off and it was really inconsistent. And I was like, this is very odd. I've never felt them in this position before. And so I rang my midwife and I was like, hey, 
I'm getting Braxton Hicks. I know that they're Braxton Hicks, but I'm feeling them really high. Is that okay? Like I've never felt them mm. here before. And she said, yeah, it's totally normal. She's, you know, when you have a Braxton Hicks, your whole uterus contracts. So it won't just be the top half of your uterus that's contracting. It's just that you can only feel it there. I said, okay, cool. No worries. Um, so um, went to bed on the Friday night, you know, excited about going to the zoo the next day for Finn. And um, I'd said to Brad before we went to bed, oh, I'm so looking forward to being comfortable again. You know, oh, I bet. Um, and then I was asleep, got up to the toilet, went back to bed. And then went back to sleep. And then the next thing, woke up to this almighty gush. And I was like, oh, no. That's my mm. waters. <laughs> I was 37 weeks exactly. And I just, I didn't even try and nudge Brad. I just said to him, my waters have broken. And he's dead asleep next to me. Mm. He's like, what, what? I said, my waters have just broken. He's like, are you joking? I said, no, I'm not joking. <laughs> and he's like, okay, well, what do we do? Because we, we didn't experience this um, with Finn, obviously, because I was in the hospital. And hmm. he was like, what do we do? I said, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and then my brain automatically went to Finn. I was like, oh, my gosh, what about Finn? Um, because we had organized for my mum to come up. Um, she was due to fly up a couple of days before I was due because we didn't think that she was going to come early at all um and brad's mum was in europe and we're like oh gosh what are we gonna do <laughs> um <laughs> so he rang his brother and he was able to come over and look after finn um but anyway brad got up and he's like what do you want to do i was like well we need to like tidy up you know strip the bed that kind of thing turned on the light and all i saw was blood and i was like okay that's mm. not good um and he looked at me and was like what and I was like I'm just going to ring the midwife so I rang my my midwife's number because I wasn't sure if it was going to divert to her backup or not um and it didn't so then I had to find her number and ring her and I said hey look I've just woken up to this big gush of blood um and she was like okay have you called an ambulance da, da, da. are you still actively bleeding I said I'm not sure. I think so. I'm still on all fours on the bed. Um, and so got Brad to call the ambulance, the midwife and the person on the other end of the, um, like the emergency responder was asking Brad and me, can you feel the baby move? And I said, no, I can't. Um, and so the ambulance got here pretty quick because we're just down the road from the hospital. Um, so got up, had a, little shower just to tidy up a bit I was still bleeding um and Brad said to me okay what do you want to take and I said I don't want to take anything I just I said I just want to go to the hospital I said I can't feel her move I haven't felt her move I just want to know that she's okay and he was like okay fair enough I said mm. you can come back and get stuff later but I just want to know that everything's okay so hopped in the ambulance to the hospital um and um the backup midwife met us there um and then I was put on the monitor and straight away she was fine I was fine heart rate and everything was beautiful um so we were like okay what's going on um and they said generally when there's a bleed um 
it's most likely a placental abruption. Um, but we want to do a bedside scan just to check it out. And we also want to make sure it, it is your waters that have broken um, because obviously it's really hard to tell. So had the bedside ultrasound and they could hardly find any fluid. So they were like, okay, your waters have broken. Um, so that's good because the, the volume of bloody fluid that you saw isn't just mm. blood, but we also don't know how much blood that there was um and the doctors started talking to me about um active management of labor I said what's that <laughs> and she said induction I said, okay but how she said with the drip I said absolutely not and she looked at me like what and I said look I had such a rubbish time with it last time mm. I said I'm willing to try just about anything else but I really don't want to do that and I want to avoid um an instrumental delivery as much as possible they were like, okay, fair enough. I said, if there's any concerns at any point about me or the baby, I'm more than happy to have a cesarean. But yeah. like the cytosine and drip and instrumental delivery is my hard no. They were like, okay, mm. fair enough. Um, I did eventually end up contracting on my own. Um, initially, I, I didn't. It was just sort of like a weird pain around my bladder, which was confusing. Um, and even they were like, that's a bit weird. Um, it was decided, um, I think, when the midwives handed over that I would have a dose of um, misoprostol, which is the induction medication that they use at the hospital now, um, mm -hmm. just to get things moving along. I, within the, you know, five hours or whatever that we'd been at the hospital, um, I'd got up and had a shower because I was still bleeding and they, you know, tidied me up and everything. Um, and my heart rate was getting higher. So I was the one that was having the heart rate issues, but mm -hmm. Maeve was fine. So because I was still bleeding, because my heart rate was a bit all over the show, because I didn't want to have an instrumental delivery, they were like, okay, we need to get her out sooner rather than later. So I had the dose of the misoprostol. Um, and then um, I had been nil by mouth up until that point. Um, and they said, you can have breakfast. It's like, great, because <laughs> I was starving. I said, if you want me to push this baby, I'm going to have to have something to eat because I can't do it on no anything. They said, no, fair enough. Um, so I was having breakfast and was contracting and you know the contraction started changing in terms of um, I was feeling them more widely across my abdomen. Um, and I had this big contraction and mm. this massive gush. And I thought, oh no. I said, I, and in my head, I was like, I know that there's not many waters left. Um, and so I rang the call bell and I said to the midwife, I said, look, I've had a couple of contractions. One was a big one and I had a big gush. And she's like, okay, that's fine. Like, that's normal. Got up and her face changed. Mm. And she was like, okay, that's not normal. Um, and I fully soaked the pad. Um, and instead of it being um, quite a watery bloody colour mm -hmm. it was a dark bloody colour um, which was yeah. a concern for them and she called in one of the other midwives who said to me I've seen them do cesareans but less blood than that and I said okay if that's what we have to do that's what we have to do um, so talk to the doctors again mm -hmm. Um, and they were still happy just to keep monitoring, but we did have 
the mm. cesarean chat in terms yeah. of what it entails, um, recovery, all that kind of thing. Um, and luckily from then I didn't have any other big bleeds. I was still bleeding a little bit, but I didn't have any bigger bleeds. So I was able to be left to it basically. Um, and I had my tennis machine, which was great. I mm-hmm. absolutely loved that. Um, and I had the gas and air. We had some music going and I was just able to do my thing. Um, I was still being monitored, which was fine because the um, equipment at the hospital was changed. So the monitors are wireless and waterproof. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to be strapped in bed when you're getting yeah. constantly monitored. And you can go into the shower if you want to. Um, and even that in itself, being able to get up and move around, just made such a difference. Um, and then contractions increased um, and the backup midwife arrived at about mm-hmm. one o'clock um, because they were quite happy that I was in established mm-hmm. labour. I didn't have a lot of, well, I didn't have a vaginal exam unless they needed to um, in terms of seeing, like early on I had one to see if they could work out where the bleeding was coming from, as an example. Um, I wasn't really pushed to get them unnecessarily which wasn't something that I'd even mentioned to them but it was really um encouraging I guess that they just weren't even pushing and from the go from when we arrived at the hospital was immediately it was such a different experience than what we'd had with Mm -hmm. Finn um and you know I was chucking along with labor and it was getting more intense and um I the midwife said to me, why don't you sit on the toilet? And I'd remember remembered people saying about the toilet being the dilation station. I said, Yep, that's fine, but I don't want to have her on the toilet. She said, Darling, you're not gonna have her on the toilet. I've never had a mum give birth on the toilet. I was like, Okay. <laughs> um, it was getting uncomfortable at that point. I was like, I don't want to be on the toilet. And she was like, That's fine. Um, and I it was around that point that I was really um I felt like I was at the end of my tether in terms of the adrenaline was wearing off from the morning. Um, I was tired. <laughs> the pain was, while I was contracting, was quite intense. Um, and I said to her, I think I want the epidural. She was like, okay, that's cool. I'd had IV morphine um, before then, which was great while it was working, but it's very short acting. And every contraction that I got, I was just getting more and more like oh my gosh where is the anaphetist <laughs> I just yeah. I just don't want to feel the pain <laughs> yeah. um, and then um, they had said to me um, about doing a vaginal exam and I said can I have the epidural first and they said no we like, really need to get an idea of where you're at in terms of dilation um, and I was like okay fair enough um, so I had that and I was um fully dilated then what happened next was what I can only describe as dry heaving from my vagina (laughs) Um, I love that explanation it's so good I I had no control over it and I really like I'd heard lots about the involuntary bearing Mm. down pushing feeling but I had no idea what to expect in terms of what it was going to feel like and it was yeah like a I was trying to vomit out of my vagina and I was like what (laughs) and um and then the midwife said to me is that all pressure in your bum I said yep she said 
she's coming and I thought oh no I said I, oh. mm-hmm. and in my head I was like fuck I've mm-hmm. got to get her out with like no drugs <laughs> um and so I started um pushing on my back because that was just the position that I was on um that I was in after having had the the exam um and I guess because I didn't have the epidural um I was able to feel the pushing a lot better um but I remember mm. saying to the midwife is that poo or is that a head and she said oh, that's mm. a head I was like okay because it definitely feels like I'm pulling because all I can feel pressure in my bum and she's like that's that's fine that's good um I tried going on my side um but I didn't like mm. that in terms of positioning um so I ended up going on all fours and the midwife was saying to me um just two more pushes two more pushes <laughs> and she said yeah. that so many times and I was like when, when is this going to like how many pushes is two more pushes? Um, and I was just running out of steam. Like I was pushing so hard. And when I mm. got on all fours, I was like, I need some sort of momentum. Like I, I need something to like counteract. And so I, I looked around me and I was like, what, what can I see? And when the hospital bed, the back lifts up, there's still the frame of the bed, I guess. And so I just reached mm-hmm. over and grabbed onto the frame of the bed and was like pulling on that as well as pushing because it just helped mm-hmm. with the downward momentum, I guess. And I remember mm-hmm. biting the bed at one point because I just, it just felt <laughs> yeah. like I was pulling a watermelon. I was like, this is yeah. like, I, I can't get her out. Um, and the backup midwife and one of the hospital midwives started talking about um infiltration mm-hmm. oh my gosh and I didn't know what that word meant and somehow mid push I managed to say what is that <laughs> and they didn't hear me and so then Brad said what is that and they said an episiotomy I said okay just do it mm-hmm. and they said no no we don't need to do it we're just thinking that maybe we might need to so yeah. and at this point in my head I'm like just knock me out and get her out I'm done like, I don't <laughs> know anymore um and next thing um all of a sudden Mm. her head was out and then her body was out and then she was born and from when I started pushing I asked um the doctors to take photos because I didn't get any photos or videos or anything from Finn's birth um and it's really important to me that I can look back on this and credit to the doctor because she took some great photos um and from when she started taking photos to when Maeve was born was only about half an hour um and when Maeve came out we were like oh I wonder that was so hard um she was fully posterior and she came out forehead first oh wow (laughs) um yeah so her forehead looked a bit like a husked walnut um and yeah so she came out and she was she was beautiful, but a little bit misshapen. She was fine when she came out. Colour and everything was great, um, but she didn't do a big cry like they wanted her to. Um, and within a couple of minutes, she went quite dusky in terms of her colour. So we had to, we did get to do the delayed cord cam- mm. clamping, um, yeah. but she had to get checked by um, paediatrics pretty soon after birth only within a couple of minutes um 
And so they were working on her um, while I was trying to get the placenta out and all that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and she mm. was working quite hard to breathe. Um, <laughs> and so they said to me at one point, like, she's fine, she's breathing, mm. but she's working hard to breathe. Um, we just want to take her to the unit just to check her over a bit more in depth. And, yep, that's fine. So Brad went off with her, and I just kept thinking, oh, my God, I did it. But it was just such a – I was the most tired, I think, I've ever been. But I was so amazed that I'd actually managed to get her out. Um, and so – I'd unfortunately torn on my scarf and the episiotomy and we think that's because she just randomly tucked her chin and then all of a sudden her head was fully out so I didn't get the chance to let her just sit there and you know stretch the perineum and just sort of ease out she just all of a sudden was out um so I had to get stitches and um as the midwife was stitching me up she said you know you didn't poo at all like really She's like, yeah, not even a little nugget. She's like, that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, that's, that's my claim to fame after <laughs> after getting there. Had a shower, got onto the postnatal ward um, and was about to go down to Skaboo to see Maeve and then they brought her down to me. So they were happy with where she was at. Her breathing and everything was fine. There was nothing that they could see that was, you know, any cause for concern for her to stay there. And so we had the night on the ward together and they said look we're gonna need to keep checking her blood sugars because she's early mm -hmm. um and also her blood gases um which is something that they just do um routinely when mm -hmm. the baby um is distressed after birth um and so she had blood tests and everything throughout the night um and the plan was to go to the birth center um the next morning once she was all cleared and then when the pediatric doctor came in um on the sunday morning she said look we're happy with her blood sugars and her gases but sometimes because you know we've done so many tests sometimes you find things that you're not uh looking for mm -hmm. and she said um her lactate has been quite high which is a um sign that babies can be distressed um and so she said we just want to do another test just to make sure that she's okay before we let you go and I was like, okay that's fine and she was checking her over and she said does she look mm -hmm. yellow to you at all mm -hmm. no she doesn't and she's like, oh, okay and she got another midwife to come and check and, and then a nurse and um, maybe she's a little bit yellow but nothing nothing major um and then she said, like, no, it's okay, mm. we won't we won't do the test. And then the nurse came back maybe five minutes later and said, actually, the um, doctor's second-guessing herself and she does want to do the blood test for jaundice. And I said, okay, fine. Um, so we did that and that came back pretty quickly um, that she was jaundice and it was mm. quite a high level. So um, on the chart, I guess, for jaundice, there's two lines of treatment one is phototherapy and I can't remember what the other one is but that's the more serious one um and she was less than 24 hours at this point and she was right smack bang in the middle of the two lines which isn't normal um so they said okay you're, you're not going home 
Um, and she went on the um, the Billy Soft, which is the blue light pad, um, and mm. she was on that in the ward with me. Um, and then mm. um, I had rung the bell a couple of hours later to get help with feeding because right. I'd noticed that um, her latch wasn't great. And I just after the experience that I'd had with her, I wanted to onto that ASAP. Um, I was never really, um, you know, it wasn't make or break for me whether I fed her or not, um, but I still mm-hmm. wanted to give it a go. Um, and so had the nurse come in and she said, mm, she's breathing quite fast. And, oh, okay. I, I didn't notice anything different, but um, a pediatric nurse came, so pediatric doctor, came down and they said yep she is breathing fast she might have an infection so um she ended up back in skipoo um and she was on their little high dependency bed um they said we're going to have to give her a feeding tube we're going to have to give her an IV, start her on antibiotics um just keep a really close eye on her um and so they did all of that um and they weren't really sure what, what caused the jaundice. Um, but they said that we could have incompatible blood types, which, again, I didn't really know that that was a thing. But basically, when you're pregnant, it doesn't matter because the blood is circulating um, you know, between the placenta and the baby and you. Um, but once that connection is lost, once the, um, once the cord is cut, then... Um, the baby has all these antibodies that doesn't match up with their blood type, um, which can cause issues. Um, and when they'd said about her needing to be have a tube, I said, okay, that's fine. Um, I said, I am like, I'll pump as much as I can. Um, but if you need to top her up with formula just to get food in her to help flush the jaundice out, because I knew that fluids was one thing that helped with that, um, then that's fine. So that was the plan in terms of feeding. I would pump and she would have whatever I pumped plus more if she needed it. Um, and I would catch up with a lactation consultant the next day because um, they are not there on the weekends. Um, so maybe ended up being on the under the blue lights for two days. And then on the Tuesday, she came off it because her levels were coming down. Um, they never found an infection, which was great. Um, and the blood tests for the um, incompatible blood types, like the, the flag for the antibodies for that came back negative as well. So they were like, well, that's two really good things that we've crossed off, but we don't really know why she's joined us so early and she's breathing fast. Um, essentially, we'll just put it down to the fact that she's a bit of a fast breather sometimes. Um, and that time was really hard being in hospital because Maeve was born two days before Finn's second birthday. So we'd had the plan of going to the birth centre the day after she was born and going home and being home for Finn's birthday. And we couldn't do that. Um, and when you're in hospital with one baby and you've got another baby at home, it's really, it's a real emotional pull. So once my midwife came and saw us um she'd said to me about being a boarder 
because she said, look, like clinically you're fine. You don't need to be here. The only reason why you're still here is because of Maeve. Um, so we made me a border at the hospital, which meant that I could come and go as I needed to. Um, and the hospital weren't taking care of me in terms of pain relief and that kind of thing. Um, so we were able to come home and have dinner with Finn for his birthday. So that was really cool. Um, and then um, Maeve came off the lights over overnight on the Monday. She was off the lights on the Tuesday. Um, and then we were okay to go home on the Wednesday. So came home on Wednesday. Um, she had lost 9.7% of her body weight. Um, and they start getting worried at 10%. So that wasn't ideal. But also because she spent so much time under the blue lights, um, she was ex ex you know, expelling so much energy that it wasn't that surprising. Um, she came home on the Wednesday night. Uh, sorry, the Wednesday morning. We were feeding at home. Everything was fine. Um, and then she was sleeping for um, just a longer stretch. Um, and my boobs are really full um, and so I decided to pump um, and prior to me pumping I'd gone to the bathroom and um, I'd passed a whole bunch of membranes so when my when I gave birth to the placenta do you give birth to the placenta um, uh, the um, the membranes on the maternal side were shredded basically um, so they weren't complete and they weren't sure where they were, but they were pretty sure that I had um, passed them when I gave birth to Maeve. Um, so they kept an eye on me while I was in hospital um, for bleeding, but I never bled, so it wasn't an issue. Um, but I passed this big bit of membranes at home and um, called my midwife and talked to her about it because it was quite a lot. And she said, that's fine. That's exactly what your body's meant to do. Um, keep an eye on it but you should be absolutely fine um when I pumped for this particular feed for Maeve I started getting after pains um which again nothing unusual but then it was constant they didn't go away after I'd stopped feeding I was like that's really weird um and it almost felt like I had really bad trapped gas and so I stood up and I was like oh maybe I need to you know maybe I need to do a really big fart and I stood up and got the shakes all over and realized that I couldn't actually stand up straight because I was in that much pain um, and started pacing around the house and Brad's like, are you okay? I was like, I don't think so. Um, and he was like, do we need to go to the hospital? I said, I don't know. So we ended up bringing um, midwife back again and told her what was going on and because I was in my constant pain and it wasn't coming and going, that was a real concern. So she rang the maternity ward. We went back up to the hospital um, and my mum was here um, to help with the kids. So we left her at home with both of the kids um, and went to the hospital and um, basically I'd gone into cervical shock from passing those membranes. Um, but they were also thinking that I had an infection. So they put me back into the delivery room that I had Maeve in, <laughs> and we spent the night on the delivery ward um, with me trying, they gave me a couple doses of misoprostol to try and get my uterus to contract, to pass the membranes, 
um, and then um, that didn't really happen overnight and we talked about doing surgery to clear the membranes but the risk for that is quite high once you've given birth versus if you were to do it after it's the same procedure as um, if you needed a removal of um, conception products after a miscarriage um, but because the uterus is thinner and bigger there's risk of um, you know, perforating the uterus or the infection passing through into other organs um, so they didn't want to do that um, prematurely um, the next morning Maeve had to have a follow-up blood test um, for her jaundice just to make sure that her levels were fine um, and her levels were not fine she was back above the treatment line so um, we didn't even get one night at home with the four of us before we, we were back in hospital um, and so that was on the Thursday um, and we both were in hospital until the Sunday so yeah so she had to be under the blue lights again for another three days two days um but it, she was able to be on the ward with me and they um, put me into a single room this time which was nice because it meant that Brad was able to stay um because I was so unwell we had just decided um to keep up with feeding um in terms of me pumping and bottle feeding her um to protect my supply and then um we just decided that we would give feeding a go once we were home properly and once I was better and I could put the energy into feeding once we were home so finally after a week in hospital we were at home um and yeah Maeve had lost 9.7 percent of her body weight which wasn't great so she had to feed every two to three hours um and her latch still wasn't fantastic um she was latching on quite deep and then would go shallow so she was nipple feeding rather than breastfeeding um and I have a really painful letdown and we don't really know why um but it's basically like uh, razor blades going through my nipples <laughs> when I feed so um because she was having to feed so often and it was so painful very quickly I was getting the same anxiety dread feelings before feeding and I knew really quickly that I had to make a decision um if I was going to keep up with feeding to see if it got better or if I was just going to pull the pin and um, bottle feed her because I knew that I needed to be the best me that I could be to have a different experience but also to be still be able to be present and be a mum for Finn and you know be a partner for Brad and I didn't want to go through the same experience that we did last time so um yeah, the next day I decided that I was going to stop breastfeeding because I didn't need to make the journey harder for myself than what it already had with, you know, Maeve being unwell, me being unwell. Um, and it was actually um, a reassuring decision for us as a family as well because it meant that we could see how much Maeve was eating. So we knew that she was going to be putting on weight whereas obviously with breastfeeding you, you don't really know how much they're taking um and the last thing that we wanted was to end up back in hospital because she'd lost 
too much weight. So we were able to sort of monitor her feeds that way. Um, and bottle feeding was a real visual reassurance for that. So a much different experience in lots of different ways. Um, but the birth was so much more positive and healing and empowering. And at the time I was like, I don't ask me to do that again. But now I'm like, I can do that again. <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is a yeah, trap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. so glad that you've had such a different experience this second time around, but still not without its complications. <laughs> no, but I think as well, because I put so much effort into mm. um you know, even after having Finn, I, mm. there's a lot of work that I put into myself. But then in terms of preparation for birth, I, yeah. I never really considered um, birth complications being a factor mm. um, in my preparation. But it definitely helped. Um, and I think if birth hadn't had gone as well as it did, not without its complications, but still such a different experience, mm. I think the whole experience would have been so different this yeah. time around yeah. um so i am really glad that i got that empowering healing birth experience yeah. because it's really helped with the the postpartum journey for sure yeah yeah is there anything taylor that you feel like we haven't covered that you want to make sure we do include before we close out the episode if you are feeling like something isn't right it probably isn't um and it's really unfortunate just with the health system and the mental health system, how it is mm -hmm. at the moment, that you really have to be the one to advocate for yourself. Yeah. Um, it's not, um, you know, like even being told, oh, well, maternal mental health won't do anything until six weeks. Um, mm -hmm. And for some people, six weeks is too long. Um, so if you or your family or your friends or if anyone is feeling like something's not right mm. stick your hand up and say hey I, I yeah. think something's not not good mm -hmm. um and the sooner that you can do that the better um I mean I had such a battle and I'm so grateful mm. that I came out the other side I hope that you know with it's, it's becoming more and more common for people to talk about their mental health struggles yeah. especially postpartum even since I've had Finn yeah. so I really hope that um the more conversations that are had about it the easier it becomes yeah. for people to talk about it because it can feel really isolating um but you're probably not alone there will mm. be someone probably quite close to you that yeah. has um not a great experience which yeah. is not nice to know that someone else is struggling but having that support can make the world of difference yeah and it is really hard to advocate for yourself but also really important absolutely well thank you so much Taylor I think you've shared like just some incredibly valuable insights into um, particularly into maternal mental health today and I know that there will be people who listen to this episode and get help because of you. So I'm just so grateful that you were willing to be so vulnerable with us and so open. And yeah, I just am so grateful to you. So thank you. And I'm really grateful to you because I have just, yeah, I, if anything can come out of um, our rough starts, 
and you know it can help someone who doesn't mm. really know what to do or where to turn then yeah. that makes it all worth it yeah so amazing yeah thank you so much for having me jordan <laughs> Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales. I hope you have enjoyed it and I would as always love to hear your feedback. If you want to find me at Kiwi Birth Tales on Instagram or Jordan with a Y, J-O-R-D-Y-N at KiwiBirthTales.com. Talk to you next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.